to Dublin Comma Conversations and this week we have a very special guest. Andy, you might recall he was our guest at Spring Edition in 2019. I do indeed. I'm very excited to talk to this guest as well. I'm a, a big fan of his work, uh, both, uh, I was about to say, in my eyes and in my ears. So I could phrase that a lot better. But um, <laughs> when you know who the guest is, you'll you'll appreciate what I mean. <laughs> yes, we are, of course, talking about the voice of Geralt himself, along many, many more characters, Mr. Doug Cockle. Hi, Doug. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. Good to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Well, you invited me. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I did do that. <laughs> well, we were just chatting there. We can't believe that it's it's only been about 18 months since you were over with us for, for Spring Edition. But because so much has happened in the meantime, it just seems like an absolute age ago. Yeah, I think it is further ago than 18 months. I think, I think it may have been 2018 when I came to Dublin Comic Con. Was it, was it really 2018? Oh, my goodness. I think it might have been. Um, I was trying to remember, uh, yeah, either you're right and it really does feel like ages and ages ago or, uh, or I'm right. And it was ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> either way, it was ages ago. Either way, it was a long, long time. And for you, I suppose, like, because it's your, a lot of the jobs that you do are voice acting and things like that. And you just sort of said that you were actually quite busy right up until a couple of weeks ago. So for you, I suppose, has lockdown really impacted your amount of work that you've been getting in or has it been, has it slowed down at all? Well, I am, uh, I, I'm not, I don't just do acting. I, I teach acting as well. So what I was actually really, really busy with um, uh, until recently was all of the online assessments for students and things like that, uh, because everything went online. It changed what students were having to do and and how they were marked and everything else. So I was just I was marking from sunup to sundown and um, pretty much having to ignore everything else. Wow, but in terms of in terms of acting, you, but, sorry, go on. I was going to say, in, in terms of acting, um, yeah, I mean, it, the, 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 whole, the whole virus crisis thing is, um, it's just shattered people. I mean, it's shattered people from all walks of life, but um, entertainers, uh, you know, they, everything just stopped. Um, and a lot of them being freelancers, there just wasn't really much for them to fall back on. So I was thankful to have the you know, the teaching work at the time, it was a, it was a, a real blessing, though it was very, very stressful and busy. Um, but um, I have had a few uh, voiceover jobs. I just did one uh, last week. Yeah, last. This is the thing about, about, about the lockdown. I can't remember what day of the week it is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but about a week ago, I did, a, I did some work on a new game that... Um, that I think is going to be really fun when it comes out. I can't say anything more about it, but um, yeah, it was a, a really, really fun recording session. We did it all from my little home studio that I'm talking to you from now and um, uh, recorded over Source Connect now. And uh, yeah, it was really good fun. Very cool. And I'm actually up in London tomorrow for, a, for another session. I was a little bit surprised to be, to be called up to London, but because um, I, I live in Bournemouth, which is about an uh, hour and a half, two hours south of London, depending on how you travel. Uh, 
but it's also going to be nice because just going somewhere different is going to be nice. <laughs> Little change of scenery, things like yeah. that. It's a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. How how have you two been finding it? It's not been so bad. It's been twenty five years now. I feel at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Andy and I, we've both been able to work from home in our in our other uh, day jobs, shall we say? So it hasn't been too bad. But um, ironically, I actually became very ill the weekend that we were supposed to have Spring Edition, and it is highly suspected that I may have had the had the Rona. So oh. it was a good thing that. We Sold it when we did it because you know I basically would have been ringing the guys to be like, yeah, I ain't, I ain't coming in. <laughs> I, re I think I should really stay at home. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because um, we don't have home testing kits or anything really yet. Uh, my wife, we're pretty sure that my wife had it very early on um, back in March because um, she had all the all the right symptoms and everything. Uh, me and my two teenage sons, we we didn't really have anything but who knows i mean this is the thing you know pe some people are really affected by it some people just are just carriers we know that now so it's um it's, <laughs> it's a mystery it's one of those, you've just gone from like march to now and we still you know we're learning every week one day it's it's this is the the truth the next thing it's something yeah. else it just doesn't seem to be any consistency to how uh, things are going to go with this it's uh, unbelievable the whole thing yeah, it kind of is. It, it, you know, we've all heard the, the jokes about the zombie apocalypse is here, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> but it, it does actually feel that way. It feels like we're teetering on the edge of having to start uh, styling our hair in mohawks and um, wearing tight leather trousers and running around on the streets oh, but looking you do that for water. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, no, that's my normal Saturday night. What am I talking about? <laughs> That was one thing missing from Mad Max and all those apocalypse movies is how much banana bread everyone was going to be baking during it. <laughs> oh, yeah. good point. <laughs> Who knew the banana bread was going to become like the, the th that between that and soda bread, they were going to be the two things that everybody wanted to make. <laughs> Can I just ask how, though, uh, you like you was, um, were born in, in California and you, know, mm. you initially I think you were training to be a doctor but somehow have ended up in Bournemouth teaching acting in, in an arts university how did how did you go from kind of one extreme to another on that oh, how long have we got <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think the uh, well I wanted to be a doctor for altruistic reasons I wanted to um uh, it was quite specific what I wanted to do, actually. I, I don't know if I ever would have achieved it. Um, I wanted to become a doctor and then specialize in obstetrics and gynecology and further specialize in genetics. And I'd read this article somewhere, and it was all about how uh, looking at genetic engineering and how sometime in the future it might be possible for us to cure the potential for disease in a child before it's ever born um, by going in through amniocentesis or something else, uh, pulling a, a, a teeny bit of DNA from the baby and analyzing it to see if it, um, because we know now that, that some people can be genetically predisposed 
to certain illnesses, um, genetic illnesses, but also uh, just biological illnesses. Um, but even down to something as commercially viable, possibly as as um, receding hairlines in men, um, there, there's a there's a gene um, relationship there. So I, I read this article and I just thought that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard to cure disease in the womb. Um, and so that was my grand ambition. And, uh, uh, and then I didn't do so well in chemistry <laughs> and that kind of, uh, made me reevaluate things. I, I think I also decided that I kind of looked at myself when all my friends were artists. I wasn't really hanging out with the scientists and the mathematicians and, you know, people who I, I was um, expecting to go on to study and work with. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what happened, but... Um, so the reason day, I'm bald is because you didn't... Uh, you want to become an actor, not a doctor, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... <laughs> I mean, that is what it was. I, I think I, I I looked at myself and what I what I enjoyed doing, what I truly enjoyed doing, and I, I finally just had to admit to myself that I really liked acting. I really enjoyed it, and um, I did I did this exercise. I asked myself where I wanted to be in ten years, and then where I wanted to be in twenty years, and then where I wanted to be in thirty years. What I wanted to be doing. And in, all, in that exercise, I couldn't see myself as a doctor anywhere in there. So, um, yeah. And, and then, I, then it was just a, a, an effort of making changes. I changed my major. You can do that in the U.S. really easily. And um, told my dad I was going to be an actor instead of a, a doctor. And uh, he was quiet on the phone for a while. And then he said... <laughs> Oh, just be careful, Doug. Those people lead an alternative lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to you, though, you did get to be a genetic doctor in some respect. You got to be Captain America's doctor. I did, yes. <laughs> my, my name was Young Doctor. But I think I was in my 40s when I filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice compliment there, isn't there? Mm. Just on, obviously you've done uh, voice acting roles as well as the live action ones. There's kind of like a, a misconception that, you know, a voice actor just needs to you know, show up and say the lines. Whereas, you know, if you're on live action, you have so much, you know, physical and you know, mental preparation to do. What is the main differences between doing both and, and how much preparation has to go into a, a voice acting performance? It really depends. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're similar, but different disciplines. Um, I always say to students that it's, um, it's all the same stuff. It's all the same basic stuff that you learn as an actor, uh, but you have different technical things to deal with, um, different timescales to deal with, different pressures, all of that. Um, I think the main difference between acting on camera or on stage uh, and voice acting uh, for video games <clears throat> is that by and large when you are voice acting you're alone in a booth um, that's changing somewhat because motion capture and, and performance capture are being used more and more and more 
to record uh, not just the dialogue, but the physical movements of the actor and the facial expressions as well, which is incredible. Uh, and that's usually done with all the people who are in the scene together in one place at one time. So in that respect, voice acting for games is becoming more like other forms of acting. But I haven't done performance capture. I've done some facial capture. So my experience of voice acting is still very much me alone in the booth, whether it's at home or in a studio. And on the other side of the glass or on, on the other side of the, um, the call uh, is a director and an engineer. Um, so what's different about it all? Am I answering your question? Am I still on track? Or have you I are. Yeah, okay. Are you? Okay. <laughs> I'm just um, listening really intently to the answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just suddenly went, wait, what was his question? Am I, am, have I gone off? <laughs> um, the difference between voice acting for games and other forms of acting is that uh, I, I, I feel I have to engage my imagination differently. Not necessarily more or better or whatever, but just differently. Because when you're working on camera or on stage, you have other actors to interact with most of the time. You have a costume that you're wearing that helps you feel the part of the character. You have a set that you're working on that helps you place yourself in the world of the character. Um, when you're voice acting, in, in my experience, you have none of that. So it all has to come from what's on the page and how you use your imagination to stimulate your voice and body. And I say voice and body because it's not just your voice. The voice and body are connected, intimately connected. Obviously, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but we forget that sometimes. And even, you know, actors and dancers and, and, and professional people who use their voice and their body all the time forget it sometimes. Um, but uh, I think that's the main difference is that you don't have all of the external help that you have on stage or in, in front of a camera. Um, so it all has to come from within yourself. Uh, so going back to part of your question, which was about preparation, a lot of my experience is that the majority of the preparation happens in, in the audition when, uh, they're asking you to do different voices. They're, they're asking you to bring this or that or something else to the quality of the voice or the tone of the voice. And you're kind of playing with different personas that you feel you can um make available to the project and most of the time again unless you're doing performance capture you don't have to memorize the lines so in some ways it's really freeing as long as you're a good sight reader if you understand the character and you can sight read really well um then you just leap in and it's, it's almost like improv um but without the the scary scariness of the cliff on both sides <laughs> you have the script that you're going from um whereas with with film and television especially if you're going into a big scene where you know it's you know you know that the master shot is going to be we have to get through these three pages of dialogue uh without screwing it up um you know there's a, there is a bit of a pressure to to memorize the lines to memorize the blocking all of that stuff um but th that's not a that's not a that's not a problem it's just having to work in a different way it's almost like your mindset's going to be different going into each different production, depending on whether it's for voiceover work or for motion capture or for stage and things like that. Is, would that be a good assessment? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, yeah, I think it's just, you know, like any job, um, you have to approach the job differently for the audience you're trying to reach or for the task at hand. Um, sometimes you have sit at your desk days. Sometimes you have, I'm in meetings all day. You use different skills for those things. Um, sometimes you're on your own working on a project or a paper or whatever it happens to be. And sometimes you're having to negotiate with others how you're going to move a project forward. Um, you know, so it's, it's similar but different again, I suppose. The reason yeah. I ask is that in our form that I, I'd be honest, I didn't appreciate really as much until I seen uh, that the, I know that voice documentary and it really made me like, it really emphasized how much work goes on kind of behind the scenes and that. Do you think that as uh, like voice acting in, in both like things like animation and in video games are something that's somewhat overlooked in that profession or in that medium rather? Voice acting? Yes. Not so much anymore. I think when I first started doing, doing it for games, uh, it was. It was a fairly new thing that was happening. And I think that, uh, and bear in mind, I have no real evidence for this. It's just a feeling I have, just, just a perception. Um, 1999 was when I first started doing voice acting in games, which is a long time ago now. Um, and I think that serious stage actors and serious film and television actors kind of looked at acting in games as like, ah, that's kid stuff. You know, that's... Um, you know, who plays games, you know, nerdy people who sit in their rooms and don't eat or eat too much and don't shower and don't bathe. And, you know, the, all the stereotypes, all the tropes, tropes come out, you know. Um, I think a lot of people who felt that they were serious about acting looked at acting in games as something that was just kind of not serious. But that's changed a lot. And um, I mean, I always use this example. I mean, you can use loads of things as examples, but... Um, BAFTA in the UK, um, the British Academy Film and Television Awards, um, which is a fantastic organization. It's, it's a charity. I mean, it's award, it's an awards thing as well, but behind the scenes or not so behind the scenes, depending on, on how clued in you are, um, it's a charity and it helps people build their careers. Um, until a few years ago, it was just the, the television and, and film awards really, um, I think they did some broadcast media and, uh, you know, other things like that as well, but they now have the, the BAFTA game awards. And I think that's a really good indication of how seriously the industry is taking the games industry, uh, um, in all different kinds of ways. Cause it's not just about performers, the BAFTA game awards. It's about, uh, it's about the, the writers, the artists, the, um, the programmers, um, the scenic artists, uh, you know, it's about the people who make the games, uh, just like for television. It's not just about the actors. It's about the directors. It's about the cinematographers. It's, about, you know, so I think that's a pretty clear indication of how seriously the industry, the wider industry is now seeing games and, and certainly um, actors who work in games. Yeah. And one of your, I don't want to say past projects uh, as such, but one of your um, projects, of course, has been The Witcher, which hit the television screens this year, or yeah. rather Christmas of last year. But it fast became yeah. the most watched series on Netflix of the entire yeah. of 2019. 
And one thing that Henry Cavill was saying is that he put a lot of effort into channeling your version of Geralt into his version as well. So when you hear things like that, is that like a a nice little compliment to hear, a little pat on the back kind of thing? Yeah, of course it is. And because he didn't have to say that, you know, it's um, it's always nice when you hear actors give credit to someone who's gone before uh, for providing an inspiration uh, for what they themselves have chosen to do. So when Henry did that, it was, um, yeah, it made, you know, gave me a little warm, warm heart glow kind of thing. It was, it was really sweet of him to, to do that. Um, but uh, before he did that, people kept asking me what I, what I, what I thought he was going to be like and everything else. And I kept saying, look, he's going to do his own thing. He's going to make this character his own he, because he has to, because that's what actors do. Um, and I think that, I, I think that part of me was also thinking he's going to have to do something like what I did because that's that's the only kind of voice that Geralt can possibly have. That's the kind of character he is. You know, it's not... Um, if he'd come in not doing a, a low growly voice, low gravelly voice, I think everybody would have gone crazy, not because they weren't he wasn't doing something like I did it, but because it just would have felt wrong for the character, I, I think. So, yeah, thanks, Henry. I, I appreciate the uh, the kudos there. But but he did go on to do his own thing. And um, I thought he was excellent. He always said that, um, like, getting into the costume and getting into the hair and the makeup and things like that really helped him to channel the character. Were you a little bit jealous of that? Because he had, like, a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a leg up on channeling the character, but you're nodding. And he's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I have to say. I am so jealous of Henry Cavill for getting to play that role. I'm so jealous. Um, not that I would have ever been cast in the television version. I just don't. I, I, I'm, I'm turning 50 this year. I've, uh, I've got a bit of a paunch, you know. Um, I don't have the cut jawline that Henry has. He's perfect for it. He's perfect for it. Um, but yeah, you know, there's there is a, there is a small part of me that's just like. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play television, Carol. <laughs> Did you enjoy the series? Yeah, I loved it. I think it was a very good um, balance between, say, the games and the the books themselves. Because um, it, it covered a lot that the games didn't. So it kind of opened up the world. And something that even my own partner, who's a massive fan of the Witcher games, he's even now wondering, do you predict maybe seeing the television series influencing how the games are going to move forward from now on? I think it's... It's possible, but I doubt very much that CD Projekt would really want to do that. I think they, just like the Netflix series, I think they'll, they will continue to carry that brand forward in their own way. Um, Netflix, actually, I don't think they, they were influenced by the games at all, except for noticing that the games had a huge following. Um, Lauren Hisrich, who's the showrunner for the Netflix series, um, she uh, she was aware of the games, but I'm pretty sure that she was adamant that she was just using the books as as um, as her source of of story information. Um, whether or not the games influenced some of the choices un unconsciously or consciously, I don't actually know. But I know that Lauren was was going back to the beginning, going back to the original source of information primarily. But it's an interesting question because 
as the seasons evolve, uh, the, the, um, you know, as, as the new game, we all know now there's going to be another Witcher game, but we don't know exactly what, it, what it's going to be about, who it's going to involve, all of that stuff. Um, so they you haven't could. told yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, fingers crossed, if they don't, we'll be, there'll be like absolute uproar. <laughs> well, there, the way these things work, though, I could be dead by the time they make it. <laughs> um, so, how much in advance would you get, like, um, like of a, a script of that game? Like we've seen this year with with the Last of Us Two, with the the leaks that came out. Of that, like, how much beforehand do you know um, about the Witcher series and where it's going, or is it all kind of clouded in secrecy until you're you're in the booth? It's very much clouded in secrecy until I'm in the booth. Um, and that, that's the way the gaming industry works. It's, uh, it's full of NDAs and, um, you know, don't say anything until the game actually comes out. Uh, so, and I wonder about leaks. I haven't seen any of the leaks for Last of Us. I haven't been following that really closely. But I imagine that most of the time, leaks are something that are intentional. Um, to tease people who are interested to keep the interest rolling. Um, and if you're really clever about it, um, you know, you can build huge interest before something even comes out so that when you broadcast whatever it is, or you put that game on the shelf, people are snapping it up because they're just desperate to find out more. So I always, I'm always suspicious of leaks. I, I think more often than not, they're, they're intentional. Um, and even if they aren't, I think the companies have learned how to uh, more often than than we might even realize uh, turn it to their advantage rather than it being a, a problem. Um, so, yes, yeah, something like Witcher 4 uh, or whatever it ends up being called. Um, the first I'll know of it is if I get a call from my agent saying, this voice production studio wants you to come in to reprise your role as Geralt of Rivia. Uh, when are you available? And that's the first I'll know about it. You're saying there about um, not getting an awful lot of time, and maybe it's my own twisted mind. The first thing that popped into my head was Geralt and Yennefer having sex on a stuffed unicorn. Of course. How much preparation do you get for something like that? Are you just told, here's your lines, go, and you're like, oh, oh God, no. <laughs> You can't believe you just asked that question. <laughs> I won't be back next week. <laughs> well, the, the thing with most video game scripts, again, this is in my experience, because I'm sure for The Last of Us, Troy Baker would tell you that he had the script weeks in advance because he would have had to memorize it. Um, my experience is that often I don't actually see the script until I walk into the studio. And that'll be, unless I've auditioned with a portion of it, um, which is why I said earlier, if you're a really good sight reader, because that becomes really important in this kind of work, uh, because they're so secretive and also because developers are often working against the clock. I, I remember, not just for Witcher, for other games as well, I remember walking into studios where the scripts were literally, that had, had been emailed that morning to the production company, the final scripts, and the production company was just then printing them out or getting them up onto an Excel spreadsheet and getting them sorted out. I mean, literally last minute. So that's not always the case, but that, that often happens. 
Um, and it's not negligence or anything like that on the part of the 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 writers. It's just that you know things change constantly. Um, and then they update the script and then they have a new idea or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think the, the longest beforehand that I've ever had a script, uh, probably four or five days, but quite often it's not, it's not, it's so much material that you can't read through all of it. Um, or they send you only your lines. So you just you can just read the lines and kind of get a, a picture of what might be going on in this world. But often I know very, very little about what I'm going to do in the studio. So something like the unicorn scene, um, there, there was no prep for that. Um, I don't think I even knew that it was coming. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember doing it, to be honest. I don't. I don't even remember recording that. But there were, you know, there were a number of sex scenes and stuff. And and I do. I do remember doing some stuff in the studio. Um, I always describe it as a as a because people often ask, "What's it like to do that kind of thing when you're in the studio?" And I I say, well, it's it feels a bit like we've all had a similar kind of experience. I'm sure, maybe not quite the same, but a similar kind of experience. It's like being caught masturbating by your mom. Because <laughs> um, there's not much. Because just not, taking a turn. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's the feeling of that. I'm not saying that I ever got caught myself. But <laughs> if you imagine that kind of situation where there's, there's just nothing you can say, you just kind of have to acknowledge that this has happened. Um, so it is a bit like that because like I said before, you have to use your imagination in this, in a, a slightly different way um, to put yourself in that role. So because one of the wonderful things about voice acting, I think, is you can hear when it's not truthful. It's um, it's like when you're talking on the phone with someone and you can hear if they're smiling. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? You when you can yeah. hear a smile in someone's voice. Um, it's the same thing with voice acting. You can hear whether or not the actor is truly engaging with this character in this moment in time in this world. You, you may not even be able to put your finger on what's wrong. Um, if, if it's wrong, it just doesn't sound right. So if you take that idea and put it on a unicorn... <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, trying to find the, the, the truthful grunts and moans um, while you're standing in a studio with a, a director and engineer in the other room, probably looking at you and grinning wickedly. Um, you know, <laughs> you can imagine what it might be like. <laughs> so I would mind, but I was like literally a... just before that about ask about your preparation for doing something. I know you directed a stage version of Much Ado About Nothing compared to that. And then for some reason that popped into my head and... I'm glad I asked it in a way, but also it, it took a turn compared from Shakespeare <laughs> very quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for for stage plays, for actors and directors and and um, designers alike, there's a lot of preparation because you know you have to read the play, you you have to get to know the script intimately, the different characters, the the story that's being told. If there's a historical element to it, then you have to you know look at that history. Um, 
so even before the first rehearsal, you have to know an awful lot about what you're going to be doing and the, the kinds of choices you might need to make. Um, but with voice acting for video games, again, my experience, um, more often than not, you have to make those choices on the spot. It's very much, I suppose the preparation in a lot of voice acting for games is arriving at the studio. It, uh, yeah, no, 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 now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's things like, um, trying not to eat lunch just before a session. Sometimes you have to, sometimes your session goes across lunch. So you eat between bits of a session, um, but also being careful about what you eat. So dairy products are generally a no, no, because it, it thickens up your saliva and, um, can create issues of popping and clicking and things like that. Um, some people say avoid fruit juice for a similar kind of reason. Uh, you don't want to eat anything that you know makes you flatulent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> or, um, or anything like that. So, you know, I think going into a session, whether you know what you're going in to do or not, you're aware if you're an experienced actor, um, you're aware that there are things you need to be doing, uh, warming up your voice, not talking too much before the session, uh, making sure you're well hydrated, um, making sure you get a good night's sleep the night before, um, trying not to drink too much alcohol the night before. Uh, again, not not because of the um, the effects of it, but but mostly because it dehydrates you and um, it can can mean that you don't sleep as well as as you might otherwise. So it's yeah, there's preparation, but it's different. You do all that stuff for you know for other forms of acting as well, but it's it's heightened when you know you're going to be on on mic. This is so interesting. <laughs> but like I said before, that you know, in my experience, a lot of the voice acting is is um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's work. And there have been sessions where I'm just like, oh man, I need this to end now. I'm tired. Um, but uh a lot of it is just it's fun. Um and that's partly because I've been doing it a long time and and I, I am a good sight reader, and uh, I enjoy doing character voices. Um, but I think it's that sense of play. The choices haven't been made, with the exception of the, the nature of the character and the, the basic set of his voice. Um, we're making the choices for the character along the way, one at a time. And there's an element of play involved in that that's that's lovely all right andy i'll give you one more question <laughs> I, I was just gonna say we're seeing um just before we came on they're kind of doing the the scripted originals again like things like you know, james mcavoy doing sandman it's kind of like harkening back to the you know the orson wells war of the world's kind of theater of the mind is that something you'd have any interest in doing or either performing or, or directing are you talking about audiobooks or or graphic novels or kind of uh, audio audio plays essentially audio plays and audiobooks um yeah i i honestly don't know if I would enjoy doing an audiobook. Um, I've never done one, but 
when I talk with some of my friends who do uh, audiobooks, it just sounds... I'm a fairly restless person. Um, I don't like sitting still for too long. Uh, and with an audiobook, although you take breaks and everything else, it's um, it sounds like a, a bit like a bit of a long slog. But again, I've I've never done it, so I don't know. I'd be interested in trying. Um, and a lot of people have suggested that uh, that I do an audiobook reading of of the of the Witcher series. Um, but at, at the moment I would have to do that off my own back. I, I don't know how to do that. Um, and besides Peter Kenny has done an amazing job with the Witcher audiobooks. So, um, you know, it's, it's been done and done well already. <laughs> You're like, I ain't touching that. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> As long as Henry stays out of the games, I'll stay out of the audiobooks. And we can each have our little little niche. <laughs> well, if Andy gets one last question, I'm going to get one last question. Have you... I heard a wee little rumour that, um, that you may have a cameo in the upcoming second season of The Witcher. Is that true? There's no truth to it whatsoever. <gasps> yeah. No, it was... It, it, it was uh, it's probably a rumour that I started... Um, <laughs> I, I don't mean that I deliberately started a rumor about me being in the second season of The Witcher. What I mean is that I've I've joked before about, and I mentioned this. I think I mentioned this to Lauren Histrich. I certainly I mentioned it to Henry. Um, uh, we uh, we we got to meet, and it, that was a really good time. Um, and what I what I joked about was saying that they should put me in the Witcher series, um, but. Not as Geralt, obviously, um, and not even as a main part. I should just show up in every single episode as a different character somewhere in the background doing something. Like, where's Waldo? Yeah, yeah, I'll just be, you know, I'll, I'll be the guy at the bar that Geralt buys a drink from. Here you go. You know, something like that. Or um, uh, I can be shooing a horse in the background. Yeah, and just give fans another thing to, to look for in the series. You know, where's Doug? We are so starting a Where's Doug campaign for after this goes out. <laughs> well, Doug, on behalf of all of our listeners and myself and Andy, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great to catch up and definitely, definitely, definitely we have to have you back at Dublin Comic Con at some point. Oh, I'd love to. I loved coming over there the first time. So yeah, do do have me back. Awesome. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Nice to meet you, Doug. Nice to, meet, uh, nice to meet you again. <laughs> <laughs>